there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. A lot of people kind of go, you're xenophobic or you're racist because you didn't have a problem when it was Russia. It's like, but we, we did have a problem when it was Russia. We do have a problem with Saudi Arabia because they're state backed. If you have never yourself ever said anything in defense of those people and their communities, but you are queuing up to call Jordan Henderson a hypocrite, you're the problem. Also, let's say, okay, let's say 700 million for three years or 150 for three years at Real Madrid. Which one are you taking? Whoa, whoa, whoa. If Saudi Arabia offer me enough money, I will be there. There's, there's, I will never, ever, ever. Close the door. I wouldn't Saudi say, <laughs> listen, I think government legislation should have protected our football clubs. Sorry, can we just get the camera on the Do the same look? Who knows? There you go. That's got to be a meme. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Ripple Effect. Apologies for last week. We weren't able to make the podcast happen, but that will not be happening again. Why have I just said that? Mm. Could be dangerous. Anyway, Hugh Wiesencroft, epic broadcaster. The guys on Talk Sport, the guys on ITV Sport. Name a sport, he's on it. Hugh's back and I needed him for this one. Also, our brother and producer, Kai, joins us. Back again. Um, Kai's confidence is low, so if you see him on Twitter or on TikTok, give him some love, okay? He got, what's the word? Harangued? Massacred. Hammered. <laughs> he got hammered. There was a ripple effect. Remember what you're doing when you're on social media. Be Try and be nice to each other, okay? Because Kai, there was a ripple effect from just a, a, a general opinion that he liked to put out there. Kai, would you like to tell the people? Okay, so what happened was Ben Chilwell during Chelsea versus Brighton at pre-season got interviewed from the bench after getting served off. And I put a tweet out saying, would mind seeing this in the Prem? <laughs> One person quote tweeted it with their opinion and then it spiralled to the point where it got 2 million views. And Who was that person? Come on, uh, was, Liez, Liez, Liez from SDS. Who I'm seeing this week because we're going to the live show of SDS. Uh, Liez, you've got to understand your influence here, mate. <laughs> you know, you're, you know, you're a... a, a a positive figure in the world of, of football knowledge. Um, but And actually, his tweet wasn't that angry, but then no, everyone no, got people, so angry yeah. about the Americanization of football. But, look, things change. And we've just before we started recording, Hugh was dropping you know, golden nuggets and I was screaming at him to shut up so that we could record the, the podcast. But one thing that I, I did want to talk about and we will inevitably talk about is kind of like the globalisation of football because I think they're... <laughs> There are some clear ripple effects from that, I think, in terms of how we're seeing the game and how it's being governed and how it's being seen and all of those things. Uh, Word of the week time. Actually, before that, make sure you are following this podcast on Spotify. If you want to watch it, you can do exclusively 
on Spotify. Of course, we're absolutely everywhere else as well. If you want to check us out there, give us a five star rating. We're on 2.9K in terms of five star ratings. It would be really nice to get that number three. So you could be that person. If you are that person, you see it change. Make sure you screenshot it and let me know. Word of the week. Marquee. Ready, Hugh? Mm-hmm. Being the main performer or sports person in a show, film, sports event, etc. Or being the performer, etc. whose name will attract the most people to the show. <laughs> A.K.A. <name. laughs> uh, yeah. James For Morris example, <laughs> Hugh Usencroft. Uh so marquee signing is a term we used to hear all the time when it came to Premier League transfers, especially those who come with long drawn out transfer sagas. Wow, this is aged well, Kai. <laughs> this was written. This was written Sunday, Sunday, wasn't it? And we thought oh, that'll be set in stone. Saturday, this will yeah. be set in stone. We'll be fine. But is this a term that will come to an end with Premier League teams and some teams abroad having multiple marquee signings in the same window? Is this a, is this an outdated term or does it still have life? Is the term marquee transfer something that will leave the Premier League in exchange for a transfer to the Saudi League even? Uh, This week, we'll be looking at the marquee transfers so far and looking at the ripple effects of each one and what will be the merry-go-rounds that arise from them. We're, of course, going to have to talk about Saudi Arabia and the Pro League and the Mbappe saga. Uh, We have a video on my channel, uh, which we're really proud of. So if you want to go and check out that and get the whole story, up till today then that is there for you uh, but Hugh is so brilliant when it comes to these things as well mate so I'm really that's why again I was telling you to shut up so that we can <laughs> I could hear it all here but for a bit of fun first of all and we all talk about football as well remember that um <laughs> marquee signing when I say that to you in terms of your just let's enjoy like simpler times what's the first signing you think of when you think marquee signing just ever just like, where does or, your or head like go? this summer. So I think, Marky Sonny, actually, the one that was sad for me was, I, it was actually Les Ferdinand leaving QPR and going to, uh, he went to Newcastle United. Mm. We then signed uh, a player called Ned Zellick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Australian fans will know Ned Zellick. And Ned Zellick, we spent three mil of that, six mil, and he was a car crash of a signing and that was supposed to be our marquee signing but yeah is there is there a, a name that pops in jet Robinho pops nice. into my head yeah good shout because the, the the marquee signing term for me is now about the bigger picture so it's like we're trying to make a statement marquee right. so, so we got statement a marquee signing, signing. Yeah, exactly the exactly exactly it, it is now and the reason that marquee signing is kind of gone is because one so many players get signed by clubs during one window that you kind of go, oh, they bought three or four decent players there. There's no kind of marquee signing. Yeah. But the other thing is, even if you your club signs a great player, fans go, I want more. Who's next? So the, it, they don't even get 24 hours as a marquee signing. Like, yeah. The moment Mason Mount's confirmed, people just go, we need a striker. Yeah, you know? so <laughs> true. But so, is so that it's, down it's, to the fact that we have such an understanding of the system of teams and the amount of things that need strengthening and the fact that you cannot have one weak link anymore. That, okay, you've got one, but it's it's constant rebuilds yeah. like every year. There's like Whereas back in the day, you just needed that one marquee striker yeah, yeah, and yeah. you could probably get, get around it. You'll get us 25. Yeah, you'll get us 25 and we'll be fine. Yeah. But that, that doesn't really kind of happen anymore. And of course, there's so much money sort of awash in football as well. Um, we found out about Marquis signing for Everton, who's Kai's team, um, before we started recording as well. Ashley Young, exciting. 
Is he your monkey signing? Arno Danjuma. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've been desperate for Danjuma for a long time. But the funny thing is, Ashley Young played quite far forward against Wigan at the weekend, so I can't see Danjuma getting into the team. Now, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> is there a marquee signing you can think of at the top of your head? Put the pressure but on Everton. Mm. Mm. Where do you go? Lukaku. 29 million from Chelsea from Chelsea after the season long loan because yeah, yeah, we didn't yeah. have any money we found the money yeah, well you one. kind of had Everton had a lot of sort of marquee signings that then turned out to be like utter duds that's something that I think is really interesting in the summer window as well a lot of the time so like um, Diaby signed for Villa and I was like oof we were chatting about it on WhatsApp we were like this is this is solid um, we were looking at videos and maybe doing it and we were thinking about titles so we are going is he like, is he a joke? We did that with Bruno Gomez. Bruno Gomez is a joke. But we we're like, I'm not sure that he's a joke. Like, he's Champions League, but he's not a joke. So we kind of, we left it in the end. But I tweeted about that. And then someone said, well, what about, didn't people say the same about um, Leon Bailey yeah. last year? So sometimes kind of the new, fresh, glitzy thing that Marquis signing, the best time to have them is before they've even kicked a ball. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. Let's, we'll get to Mbappe. I do want to talk about Jordan Henderson. Um, almost kind of I don't want to say get this out of the way but this is the cognitive dissonance around football right now is at a new level for me and I think for so many others and I saw a great tweet from Hamill uh, who is now working at The Athletic and who uh, we're going to try and get on the podcast but he was saying he, he listed all the sort of wonderful things that Jordan Henderson has done in his career and then kind of said look but still He's kind of gone, and it's so that's has he? so. But yeah, well, that's it. But yeah, and it's actually, gone, at the time recording, he, he hasn't gone yet. <laughs> he might have to do the Wolf of Wall Street and not leave it. Maybe he's going to do that. But it looks like he will go yeah. because it looks like a lot of these guys will go because on a sort of one-to-one, personal looking after your family, getting your bag whilst you can, it's a very hard thing to to sort of say no to. So someone like Jordan Henderson to our Etifac. I'm going to put this question out there. There's two questions here. We'll get to the second part, which is, does this move actually damage Liverpool's sort of midfield rebuild? Because I think there's intangibles with Jordan Henderson that you don't know you're going to lose from Liverpool until you lose him. But there's been a lot of talk about his legacy or Mbappe's legacy that we're going to talk about. The ripple effect of all of this or the way that football seems to be at, at right at this moment. When I see, oh, what about his legacy? Or what about Jordan Hen's legacy? Are you starting to roll your eyes like I am? Yes, it's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> right, right. That's ridiculous. Off you go here. There's, there's, a, there's a million reasons why. Firstly, I think this just needs to be said to begin with. Because I think there's a lot of people that are using Jordan Henderson's move as a way of hammering their Liverpool fan mates. Right. Or a way of um, just hammering Jordan Henderson. They think it kind of falls in the kind of because he's the golden boy. To a whatever. Point. It, like, firstly, Moral. a lot of people d- have, have never liked Jordan Henderson. Right? They just think he had no right to be playing for Liverpool. They were terrible. Then all of a sudden, he turns his England career around, turns his club career around, goes on to brilliant things. And I think some people are like, "Is this the guy that I was like calling the worst signing in right, yeah, Liverpool's yeah, yeah. history?" And and they kind of they just don't want to give him that credit. Which can I put it out there just quickly? That's Mudrick next year. I was thinking about this the other day. I saw him. I saw some of the highlights with him. I think he's. I think he could do something this yeah, year. Yeah, I agree. And and Booby, <laughs> Booby was there. Booby gave me this beautiful little look where he's like, "Oh, I was always going to say someone here." And he said, he's like, Mudrick is a 
Galatasaray, Fenerbahce. <laughs> He'll be in the Turkish league in a year's time. I think there's actually a, there's a player in there. Yeah. I mean, we might be about to see him. Sorry. No, 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 but uh, listen. But there's a lot of people, you put your... That's the thing, though. You give your opinions and they're out there yeah, forevermore. Yeah. So you then have to re-ad- you know, readdress them. I'm about to put a video out uh, today on Nunez. And Nunez, I don't think I was wrong in what I said, but I do think he's going to do something really yeah. special this year as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. So No, so there's that, I think. And I think that's kind of childish, to be honest, that people would use this whole episode as a way of just insulting Henderson or people that support Liverpool. Um, but there's so many things to this, so so bear, just bear with me. Like Jordan Henderson, if he goes to Saudi Arabia, lots of people are saying he's a hypocrite because of the public statements he's made in support of the LGBTQ plus community and communities. If you have never yourself ever said anything in defence of those people and their communities but you are queuing up to call Jordan Henderson a hypocrite, (laughs) you're the problem. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, right? Because you don't care that Jordan Henderson's a hypocrite. You've never, ever said a word in support of these people, and yet you've got thousands of words to insult Jordan Henderson, who might just be going to Saudi Arabia to take care of his family. Mm. So firstly, for me, you're just a joke. Like, you're you're off the page. You can call him a hypocrite if you want to, but your opinion means very little to me because you're one of the people who doesn't care about the issue. Secondly, to that, the people who are actually offended, and I know some of those people have called Jordan Henderson a a hypocrite, those are the people that we should listen to, I think, most closely. People from the LGBTQ plus community who were not just kind of encouraged or, you know, um, emboldened or even watched the World Cup because they thought, well, at least someone like Jordan Henderson's going to go there and speak up for people like me. Um, those people, I think, have the most right to feel hurt by Jordan Henderson going there because those people live the issues, to be perfectly honest. And, mo- and, and though well, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't. So I, I feel like those are the people that we should listen to most closely, basically. Not people on the internet who just want to insult Jordan Henderson. Mm. The other thing about it is there's a degree of nuance involved as to how much Jordan Henderson is a hypocrite if you want to have that argument. Jordan Henderson did say things about the World Cup in Qatar and wanting football to be for everyone. Firstly, I don't know if he's changed his opinion on that. But we all seem to be talking about him that he has because he's decided to go and play football in Saudi yeah. Arabia. But when he made all of those statements about the World Cup in Qatar, he didn't boycott it. He still went. Mm. He still played football and was a part of a sports washing World Cup in Qatar. So to what degree is he a hypocrite if he goes to play football in Saudi Arabia? Like, there is a degree. I'm sure there is. There is an answer to that. Yeah. But people are making out that he almost boycotted the World Cup in Qatar and he's <laughs> suddenly made an incredible 180 degree U-turn. He went to Qatar. He played football in Qatar. He took whatever yeah. money and fame or whatever you get from being an England player at a World Cup. He took that. Now, people will be like, well, he wasn't going to do that. No player's ever going to give up their place at a World Cup. Maybe not. But ultimately, he didn't. So the idea that he's going to now give up his football career in Saudi Arabia over a moral stance, well, he he didn't give up his England career in the World Cup for a moral stance. So I don't know how far people... And then the other thing is the money. People go, oh, 700 grand a week. He sold himself out. That's the price of Jordan Henderson's morals. Would you change your opinion if it was 50 grand a week? Would you not call him a hypocrite then? 
or if it was 10 grand a week, you wouldn't. You'd still call him a hypocrite. So I just, I, there, listen, I didn't mean to go on there. No, no, I like There's so many different levels to it and so many different arguments around it. It's so it's so complex. And also there's, you know, me and you were in, were in Qatar. Mm. And I, I had you had to sort of deal with that cognitive dissonance of being like, this this World Cup is a bit of a stain. It, it is a stain, but we like, but we're kind of here now. So, kind of, what am I supposed to do? Like the, the sort of black and white idea of it is just not there. Like something to me, like me and Kai talk about football all the time. This sort of the paradox around it in terms of how it will, it's it will it will say so this Mbappe transfer or the, the Henderson transfer. The, in terms of the winners and losers of this. Henderson's kind of a winner, obviously, because of the, you know that that is him sort of set up for life, and not that he wasn't before. But then it kind of it damages him in the same in the same way. Liverpool take the money, whilst you know, and and they kind of that allows them to spend more money further down, which is going to take a player from someone else. So there there are these moves all the time. Chelsea, in terms of the money that they've been able to bring in, that they spent six hundred million. That is a lot of money. But but it's okay, and they you know, their sort of uh, mistakes they're allowed to kind of get around that as well. And uh, uh, this is the problem that you've got with live golf and with everything and with money in general is that's a real thing. That's a tangible thing that completely changes your life. And there are very 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 few people that can get away from that. So few. It's so difficult. And that's why I said on this podcast a month ago to Flav, I don't see this ending. Like uh, this book, uh, like, I think you disagree with me on this. I, I, see, I think this league will be the league. No way. I think it will. Not even close. Because over the years, Serie A, when they had the money, they took all the players. No, listen. I'm, and the Premier uh, League, they took all the players. Mm. And now Saudi Arabia have got all the money. And this is it, un- unlimited wealth. Unlimited wealth. But they can't spend doesn't... enough. So much so that they're going to spend this money on Mbappe. So, that, as I said a month ago, that first you know, array or tier of players, you kind of go and get them. And even someone like Mbappe, he kind of starts to go, oh, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm going to earn like a f- fifth of what everyone else is earning just to kind of be in this better competition. That's just one domino in all of it. So when you go and get someone like Mbappe and then you then are able to get all the other players for much cheaper because they'll go for double their earnings instead of 10 times their earnings, then all of a sudden you've got an incredibly strong league and kind of, I know we're going all over the place here, but you know, they're part of the same thing. That globalization that we were talking about, and the eyeballs that you're seeing. So Al Nasir, for example, they have more Twitter followers than any of the other teams outside of the the top six, the big six, or whatever you want to call it. So the eyeballs will be there. So in, the next uh, thing you need is a competition. And uh, that competition is on its way as well. Uh, no. The Champions League will get watered down as well. Uh, uh, I, I can't see how you I don't can't see how that doesn't the happen. Here's the thing. The, the, I, I imagine these teams will grow massively in branding and popularity, and so will the league. I'm not disagreeing with any of those things. It it becoming the league kind of takes away all of the other factors apart from having great players that made Italy the league when it was the league and the Premier League the league as it is the league right now. But why was Serie A the league and why was the Premier League the league? But it's not just players. If the MLS had all the best players, it wouldn't be the league. I think it would. 
it, I don't think I it think in 2023 be. when you can watch anything whenever you want when but when the, most when most of the and this isn't a dig at them but it's just it's a fact when the most of the biggest fan channels that love their club don't go to the game despite being in the country and again this is not a dig this is just the way the world is now they stream the game mm. it doesn't matter where the game is this is the point so this is a we can talk about, I guess I'll bring in another point here which is who owns our football clubs in this country and why I think it's always been important to keep a close eye on who those people are. Because the thing that will make the league the league in the future is the brand, is the history, is the club. So the thing that made Italy the league wasn't just having great players. It was having Inter Milan, AC Milan, Juventus. Do you know what I mean? Having big, huge clubs with history in football in the league. I disagree. The Premier League has huge clubs with history. Chelsea didn't have a history. didn't have the, the history. No, but that Chelsea we didn't make about. the league. Man City didn't have the but history. The, Man City don't about. make the league. Because Paris Saint-Germain... But have, they do because they've got the best no, players. because no, Paris Saint-Germain got the best players and they didn't make Liga the league because they're one team. You can't do it on your own. One team right. full of great players is not going to make the league the league. Uh, like, you I think need the go. league to become the league by having many teams with great players, number one, mm. but also... Brands, teams, badges, clubs, history, family, whatever it is that goes into making us really care about the football team. I'm not saying that people won't watch the Saudi Pro League or that it won't be massively popular. And I'm not saying that it won't overtake. It might overtake the Premier League. I mean, and the, but, but it doesn't mean that another league won't have also overtaken the Premier League is my point. I mean, the Premier League might be the third or fourth one day. No one's got more money than the Saudis, have they? I don't know. If, but if the, that's th- the, thing that, the thing that will stop them being the league long term, the, the reason why I disagree with you thinking that it will be the league for the long term is that you're taking away the motivations for spending all of this money and the motivations for bringing these players in. And there is a time limit on that. Saudi Arabia have a vision of growing their country around 2030. They also want a World Cup. They want to build a new city called Neon by 2039. There is a time frame by which they want to grow the popularity of Saudi Arabia generally, grow the population, whatever it is, the goals of the state might be. They aren't getting into football because they want to have the greatest league for the next 200 years. They just want to grow out and they want to get into golf for that reason. They want to get into whatever it is, tennis for that reason. Why Why do you not? They, I think you're getting mixed up with a short term aim. It is, uh, that's a short term yeah, aim. Yeah, short term yeah. aim. And, but once that's done, they they want, like for the Mbappe transfer you're saying yourself, they could have given a much lower bid, but they have the infinite amount of money to go, okay, it's just no, typing but, but a listen, different number. But we are in. currently so, in the phase of. We want eyes on the Saudi Pro League. We're currently in the phase of we want people to gravitate towards these football clubs. Like you're saying, we want them to buy our shirt. We want them to try and understand our culture more because we want people to come and work here. Well, they want to build a city that is like the they size want to get of... get away from fossil fuels, don't they? Yeah, but they, and they want to build a city that's the city that's the size of Belgium, right? So to do that, you want people to kind of go, oh, Saudi Arabia, I know things about them. And that and sport is a huge way. And it has. it's not just... No, Saudi Arabia is not the first country to do this. Britain has done it. Germany has done it. Russia have done it. You know, over the years, sports washing is not a new... The the United States have done it. It's it's not a new thing. So I'm not going to hammer Saudi Arabia for being the first state to try this because they're not. But they have a goal, which is to do with an overarching view of growing their country in many different areas. Sport is a a way of doing that. Yeah, but and I get that. I agree with that. But but there is a time limit on it. They're not going to spend 300 million on players in 30 years time 
But if they, you they have... might just spend the same as the Premier League does now. And again, you're right. It might be the biggest league, but I just don't think it will be. But because if you I don't have... think you can make people care but about I think Saudi you Arabia. Can because if you, have, if you have unlimited wealth, that can go beyond... Uh, 2039 and also have a look at what Chelsea and Man City have done they have gone and they have spent a lot of money spent a lot of money on transfers right to build to compete and then from there you then build from the ground up and you start to build these incredible academies and you start to have these incredible players we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in terms of Man City and then when you have those players, it then can become yeah, a bit more of a can't. sustainable thing with it that can't. additional money that you have because yeah. you have unlimited wealth. I think once you get to 2040 and it's still the hottest league, again, this isn't one where, oh, we're scrabbling about, we're running out of money here, this needs to click. The money's there. So you, the you, money you, continues. You, you, you missed the point. The, when Italy was the biggest league, people still went to games in England. I'm not. Sa- I'm not saying the league right. dies. I'm not saying the league dies. People I'm will saying... still watch games in Italy and France and in Eastern Europe. They still get thirty-five or in Scotland seventy thousand fans. They aren't the biggest league. They don't go. Do you know what? We're going to stop watching Celtic and Rangers and we're going to only watch the Premier League. Like they, they, it's there. They spend money on broadcasting or whatnot and they watch it and they might even have a, a team that they support in that league. Sure. But the idea that we will abandon. It doesn't matter which territory you're in, River Plate or Boca Juniors. They're not the biggest league I'm, in the world. I'm not saying abandon. But, but, I'm saying eyeballs. You can have look. You can look at different things at the same time. You know, I'm a QPR fan who who you know talks about the Premier League more so than you know than obviously my own club. That will, I'm not saying that goes away, but I'm saying the eyeballs of the world will be on that league. I can see the eyeballs of that world because it's the same. It feels like the same as the Premier League, just on a much higher scale for me. I think one of the things that changes football, one of the things that makes football great, and and for me, this is the major test. And the thing that will open the gateway to what you're suggesting is that somehow those teams become involved more in competitions that we watched Champions League, basically. A European Super League comes, or I guess you can take the word European out of that, right? A Northern Hemisphere Super League team comes along. Uh, Super League comes along and those teams are a part of it and that may open the gateway because those players will be like well I'm in the same competition as Kevin De Bruyne at Manchester City you know as Mason Mount at Manchester United whoever it might be right that could be the only thing and that's why I think we should move on to it and it's probably the most important thing who owns our football clubs and who's running the sport because people have often asked questions on why and I have for sure why do people from Qatar, for example, want to be involved in European Club Association? I get it. They own a football, a big football club in Europe. But why do they want to be so central? Why do they want to be president, for example, as, as opposed to just involved? OK, you're going to find out exactly what that is <laughs> after this break. You're listening to The Ripple Effect. If you set a hard cap on the money to try and bring everyone together, the only thing that happens to football is rich owners take money out of football. It's you, the fans. Who, you're the they. If you want something to be done, you have to join the Football Sports Association. You know, do something about it. Right, guys, you listen to The Ripple Effect with me, James Lawrence Alcott. I am joined by brother Kai, the producer of The Ripple Effect. And Hugh Woosencroft. And we're having a passionate debate. Who would have thought that could occur 
in football content. Uh, in terms of the ownership that you were alluding to there, talk to me about that. It's just, uh, I think, the motivation of football clubs, I think, and we saw it with the kind of the suggestion that there would be a European Super League. You know, I think a lot of fans think that their club feels the same way about the club as them and has the same kind of goals. And, you know, people say sack the board whenever they feel like there is that disconnect, ultimately. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, yeah. And I think now, people keep saying, you know, you need to be... Listen, I am worried about state ownership, but I'm more concerned about large American investment companies buying football clubs all over Europe. Because you're like, what? what is happening? In it? What's the conversation around soccer in the United States that so many capital investment groups want to buy European football clubs? Mm. And we know what their model is in the United States, and that is franchise sport. That is no relegation, right? Well, that, I thought that was really interesting with Todd Bowley, who so quickly and with quite a lot of frivolity, I felt, went, well, we want to buy other clubs. And you're like, what? what? But, and that is... That's previously been a sort of, you know, uh, Red Bull did it first, of course. And there was, and I think this is the same thing that disappoints me with a lot of things is that, you know, there was a lot of anger towards that initially, but they just carried on. And then Man City obviously have done it and a slight bit of, you know, feeling around it. And now it's it's the minimum that you need to do, like all sorts of clubs. Isn't that, there are other clubs that aren't, you know, the Chelsea and the Man Cities and the, Main nights of this world. Is it, was it Bournemouth? Bournemouth yeah. and Lorient. Yeah, exactly. So that's happening more and more now. And what that leads to, again, is the sporting integrity being hurt because you're... And I think this is something that actually we're not talking about uh, a lot as well. And again, another tangent on the ripple effect, who would have thought. But as much as it's uh, the sort of the, the abilities for players to pick off players and go kind of upwards, it actually... What happens is these teams start to need the guys above them because they get them out of trouble a lot of the time by being able to utilize their players a lot and you think that means it's better but actually it's worse because you're you're so dependent on these loans and these players because they've all been stockpiled by these other clubs and being moved around from place to place and again you you know you're not truly independent in terms of what you want to do and that's incredibly sad for the game but again comes back to this globalization of football because the borders don't matter anymore it feels like it's going that way and the the fifa club world cup it feels like that that for me is the is that's the champions league that's the next Champions League. it's gonna be massive the fifa club world cup by the time it comes round, and i think it's a competition that kind of football fans have always said when they saw the world cup they were like this would be pretty cool if our club teams did this i think we've all kind of thought that since we were we were kids like More so than the the Club World Cup that we saw, where like the the Champions League winners entered at the semi final, played a semi, yeah, you won the final it in December, yeah. or January, or whatever, whatever was knackered anyway. Yeah, so I think you know, I think you'll get the narrative more over the course of if you like the international club, uh, the international World Cup, right? Mm. You know that period of time when we have the build up, when we're like, you know, let's find out a little bit more about you know, I don't know, Croatia's team and these players that you might not seen much of. You get the narrative of the individual players. You, you, coaches and stuff like that um, and also of course you know one of the best things about the World Cup is you get people travelling there from all over the world you're having a beer with 
hopefully people friendly having beers, you know, with clubs, from, with fans from the other side Soft of the world. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, whatever it is, but <laughs> from fans from the other side of the world. And once you have those experiences, once people start saying, I really want to host this competition, um, then it becomes, I think, something that is, it could be parallel with the World Cup, maybe slightly underneath, because obviously far more people are represented by the World Cup when it comes to international teams than yeah. would be by fans of club teams. But ultimately, I think there would still be a, a huge interest in it. But I think when, you, when you're talking about the multi-club model, the issue is that people say, you know, if, if we look at American sport and we look at the fact that we can just put 32 teams on one continent, make huge sums of money, not have any relegation, and you, you kind of, you know, 32 different multi-club models existed where they went, let's just do that in Africa and see if we can get the whole of Africa into one big tournament mm. and just have, you know, one or two teams per country, tops, if that. Um, and we do the same thing in South America. And then we do the same thing in Europe. Okay, going to be tough to do it, but maybe Australasia we can. And then you kind of go, brilliant. We're just making, you know, football is art. That is when you buy football, right? And you just go, football's yeah. art. All the best players play in that competition. We're not going to have promotional relegation. We're not going to have a cup competition. We're just going to have one league and you're going to watch the games and you're going to like it, you know, like. But you can understand why that's the, that feels like an obvious final destination for American investors because that's, there's, um, it's a great book. I can't remember the name of it now, but it's about something about borders, basically. And it's kind of like how, Politics, you might have read this book. Politics basically are hugely affected by your borders, by your terrain, like all those things. So when it comes to, say, sport and, and the American model of sport, the difference between them, although incredibly like capitalist society, is huge. And so this that was the way for it to work. There wasn't this sort of... Whereas in the UK, it can be smaller. There can be like working your way up and working your way down because... Because it's so much smaller because you don't really, if you just had three or four teams, it's not enough. Whereas you can have 32 in America. And I think, again, that is being bled into football as we know it. Because previously when the, and also I think technology as well plays a part in this. When I say like the eyeballs of someone in Saudi Arabia is as important as my eyeballs yeah. for QPR. That's why, I, that's why I keep coming back to it, it going that down that road. And I'm kind of... Not okay with it, but I think I'm less angry at it because I feel like I've seen this for quite some time. What I've seen a little bit is this idea of um, scrapping FFP for for Premier League and, and around Europe. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's something that needs to be done to almost allow those Premier League sides that have got the wealth, who could bring in the wealth to try and combat those big prices that Saudi Arabia are going to be doing. Because in terms of regulating it, that's what I kind of wanted to get yeah. onto. The, the regulating of it, the idea of regulating it, and this is something I've been saying for four years and no one was bloody listening, was it's the gaps that matter. It's the gaps between QPR and Leicester City and the championship. It's the gap between Luton when they sneak into the Premier League. I, you know, I'm not trying to dig out Luton. Luton getting into the Premier League, sorry. And Man City. And now it's kind of, maybe not Man City, but it's the Inter Milan's of this world and the, you know, the Saudi League. It's the gaps that are the problem. So is there a way of squishing everyone back together? I mean, I don't necessarily mind the gaps. I think a lot of football fans, they don't see... Their... I mind the gaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, mind, they mind the gaps because they don't see their football club winning things and they want everyone wants that, etc., etc. 
which I always find is weird. Like, what? People... That you want your team to have the opportunity to win things? No, no, no. Like, that people believe it should happen so instantly. Like, that's what's changed in football. People go, like, if they're a Bournemouth fan, they're like, well, why not us? It's like, well, you can do it one day. Like, you can grow to the, the size of a football club like Manchester United one day. They grew over a hundred years. No, but they've, they've been able to accelerate that years? incredibly over the last 25 years. If you go back to the, the 70s, you had teams going going up and then winning, winning that the league. league. Yeah. And you had different winners year after year after year. That yeah. sounds like a fun competition to me. It does, but... <sighs> That was that was largely idealistic was, and naive as it is. No, I get it, yeah, right? it was it, because it was it was a different economy. But the idea, for example, that born like Leicester won the league, right? They won the league, and people go it was a five thousand to one, this, that, and the other. But they managed it. Mm. Like the idea, I know people will sound it will sound crazy that the gulf between quality of the players in the Premier League is so unbelievably huge. Uh, it actually it, it is nowhere near what people might, you know, West Ham aren't going to win the league because all of their players are probably, you know, as a group 25, when you compare it to Manchester City or Manchester United or, or OK, you get it. There's a gap, small gaps between every player. Mm. You know I think a, a, probably a better example is is La Liga, where Real Madrid have spent more than all of the other 19 teams combined. Yeah. And so that inevitably will lead to an, an enormous talent gap between the two because yeah. that's the one thing that the Premier League has had is it has had the money so it has been able like Bournemouth are able to go and buy yeah. players in Gazump yeah, know, yeah, AC yeah, Milan or yeah. whoever it may may be so so that's I mean that's the problem for me is, is the gaps but like again you're always well, you're always coming from it from your point of view yeah. do you know what I mean I, I still think a kind of FFP model the only thing that I'd say is I think that I think we, we need to have a closer eye on the accounting of football clubs anyway so I think we should get the accounts every three months, to be honest. I think that the Premier League should be looking at clubs' accounts constantly mm. as opposed to like a year later. Like, like in La Liga. Then yeah. clubs delay releasing their accounts. They don't want to say that they've made any losses. So they delay it and they take the fine off the, the HMRC or whoever. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, we we need to be more hot on it. But other, But also, we need serious punishments. Like if you're spending... 120% of your turnover on your players' wages, you should be you should be massively fined or you should have loads of points deductions Yeah, because you're threatening the survival of the football club and no owner should do that, mm. in my opinion. Like, no, of course. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think we just need to be like, you know, Bournemouth, when they went down, fact, I mean, they came straight back up, but when they went down, they'd spent 110%. Wages to like, come on, because they kind of had to. Like, whereas a Norwich they don't City, have to. no, no one has to. But you no feel one like has you to. have to. You, no because one you're has so to. far away. No one has to. Bournemouth have gone down and up, down and up. That's you're fine. Norwich City down and up, That's down fine. and up. That's fine. But you want, but to, like, there's always that that leap, and this is what I mean. I keep talking about this gap. That you have to go and spend that kind of money to give yourself an opportunity. So, so do you think? Try and compete. So do you think that in the hundred meters? There should be a staggered start based on people's best times of the year so far. I, but I think there should be if you've got certain people that are like juiced. <laughs> I'm going to swear, juiced to fuck. <laughs> and then you've got other guys. Who, but, but, but people you know, aren't. But people aren't juiced to fuck. Manchester United aren't juiced, are they? Their owners take money out of the football club. They don't put any in. So, so see what I mean. People go, why can't we be as big as Manchester United? It's like Man United would be bigger 
like they've spent loads of money and badly. So I'm not I'm not saying that you know Manchester United would be winning everything if they spent more money. But had they had different owners, they would have spent six, you know the owners take sixty million or the loan takes yeah. roughly sixty to seventy million pounds a year out of Manchester United just to service the loan. That they never had any debt before the Glazers came in. So imagine if Man United every year had spent an extra seventy million pounds on another player for the last fifteen years. You know, all right, they might have been better. They might not have won anything still. There's no guarantees. And they've had, there's been very strong teams in the Premier League. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying they would have won the league every year. But imagine their club was run well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they, probably would, they probably would have won it every single year. Now, for me to c- come out and say, like, I think that there's, there's an issue with that, I think it's wrong. Because I think it's wrong for people to break the bank, ultimately. So leveling the playing field for me is is like what do you suggest that Manchester United spend less or the only thing that I would I mean, the, the only thing that I would suggest is and I know it sounds weird but I would I would flip the TV money so I would have the teams at the bottom make the most out of the TV money then you would see tanking wouldn't you that would be the the fear when it comes to that no I think it, all all I would do is I think when it comes to relegation because bear in mind you get relegated you're not going to get that money again but are you what if so no one's going to be like let's finish bottom and then we can you know, next season you're not going to get that money. For so... me, for me, it has to be, it has to be a cap. Now, the the thing that what happens a lot with a lot of these things is you you go. I don't think they need the to. They need to do something, right? You start to hear this. They need to do something. <laughs> it's us. Who are they? Us. The people that will actually talk about these issues, because the Premier League won't, the FA won't publicly talk about them. All we can do is you, the fans, who you're the they. If you want something to be done. You have to join the Football Supporters Association. You know, do but something about it. But that's what's hilarious a lot of times. That, that sort of um, communist, socialist <laughs> ideal is... Grab the means of production. It, yeah, is, <laughs> is, um, is found wanting when it's, when it's working for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's, that is a problem. But like, I just think you want to retain... For, this is why I keep coming to the gaps. Because I think if you are able to have some form of cap... so. Even that cap, like I saw a comment on uh, the Mbappe video yesterday, and I thought it was. I was like, "Wow! Imagine showing that comment to me as a as a thirteen year old lad." And it said, "He went. I just think that as long as when the best players in the world are up for grabs, they're still going for a fair price, like a hundred million. Then, then everything's <laughs> then we're okay." So, and I laughed at that because it again it's about it's about what you've got but what you can spend right and this is why I keep coming back to like unless that is put in place but that's what FFP keep going, is meant to be it's I get meant that. to be what and, you've and that got. needs to be that needs to be um understood and it that cap needs to be broadened to squish everyone together to keep the gap together it wouldn't you couldn't have a straight cap could you I think you I, you I think there's have something every in, team has like you can only spend whatever it is, a hundred million on wages every season. I think, but I, I think if you, di- I think there's FFP needs to be like wiggled about, but I think you need to retain it. Newcastle United, for you know everything you want to throw at them in terms of being owned by you know, Saudi Arabian side, they are trying to stay within the the confines of their their FFP, and that allows it to feel like their success has a, a bit more merit. Now, are they always going to spend more than Luton because they got their a, a better infrastructure? Yeah, of course they will, and there'll always yeah, but, be those that can spend more than others. But it's the distance that's what no, I'm struggling. But it, that issue, has to calm the issue down. with FFP is to. if you if you tie it to turnover, like you're talking about Newcastle, but they then sponsor themselves. 
So, because it's related to turnover, and they start yeah. saying, you know, we're, we're, and that's what Manchester City did. Oh, now suddenly all of these things related with our football club are worth so much more money. And then every time they win something, they say, oh, with it, with an extra 5% but, premium on everything. But and I think s- if you're Brighton and you're sticking around, you're bringing in good money, but there's still, you can only spend, look, I don't know the total ins and outs of it, but you can only spend 150 instead of 600 million or whatever, you know, they're doing in Saudi Arabia. That's why Saudi Arabia will keep getting everyone that's why i keep thinking that they would do it because they're just they're exactly it's exactly the same it's exactly the same because you can go jordan henson do you want to come to saudi arabia for 100 grand no 200 no 300 no for pick a number 700 all right because it doesn't matter but if there was a rule there that it could only be 300 then that would Allow it to be more of a, a discussion and thought process. But You'll sorry, still have so the you, people so you, at the top. You want world football to be regulated. So you want these rules to be broadened across territories. What I'm saying to you is if you don't... Yeah, I think if you don't have a line, if you don't have a ceiling, then Saudi Arabia Pro League is but, the But there's league. no issue with Saudi Arabia becoming the league. Like I, Again, everything we said so far, I don't mind if Saudi Arabia becomes the league. I just don't think it will become the league. Right. If it becomes the league, that's fine. The Premier League became the league. Serie A became the yeah. league. La Liga was the league. And, like, so I don't I mind kind of the see. league being... I, 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 like I kind of like the idea. Cause, trust me, and uh, Kyle backed me up on this as an Everton fan, and that's someone who's in the Premier League with incredible heritage. You're not there for the players a lot of the time. You're there because it's your team. And what will be interesting is I think there will be a huge amount of people that will go, well, you know, we've seen this. We see this all the time. It will be about the players. And so they will look elsewhere. And that doesn't, that doesn't, like you say, that doesn't mean that, like, the Scottish Premier League doesn't not matter. But you will lose the people that just want the glitziest thing. And, and I think what's been a strength of the Premier League has been the fact that it's not like La Liga where there's two teams really that can win it or the Scottish Premier League where there's two teams that can really win it. You have, yes, okay, there's, you know, it's, well, it's five, six, seven, eight, we've got two at this point. But again, I think if you can, if they can't fly into the stratosphere, you give everyone a chance in what is, and I say this all the time, <laughs> say it with me, a low scoring, high variable game. Listen, if you... But who can do it? If How you, can they create the, the, that line? My issue is, if you set a hard cap on the money to try and bring everyone together, the only thing that happens to football is rich owners take money out of football. If there is a rule that says we have a hard cap on salaries, but all the profit has to be reinvested in the club and the academy to produce better players in the future, and it's all about the future of the sport, even if it goes to charitable donations, I don't care. Mm. But we know what will happen because it happens in other sports, which is... Getting into owning an NFL team, for example, is one of the most coveted things possible because you cannot lose financially yeah. from being, you just need to be in it and you've already won I'm not, I'm not financially. Saying, but I'm not, I'm not saying it will be done ownership. or can be done. I'm saying that is how, that's how you do it in the fairest way I can think of. So you're saying right now what we have is unfair. I think there's an attempt there, but what you've seen is the fact that Europe... Is is um, you know these borders are nonsense because th- the eyeballs will go where the players go and the players go where the money is. But that's not a problem. No, and I, and again, I'm quite relaxed about yeah, that yeah, because yeah. again, 
the Premier League is not actually my league. My league's the Championship, <laughs> and I don't and I don't want to be in that league. I'd rather be in, you know. But I want I want there to be the opportunity. the The core of sport is the ability to it, uh, to have somewhat of an even uh, even playing field. At, at the very least, eleven against eleven, and there to be there allowing that opportunity to to go and achieve something that's the power and the beauty of sport and i want to, that to be retained but we we already have that in the current system sort of yeah but the thing is the only threat to that we... is in in within our system domestically if you talk about england the main threat to that is state ownership or oligarchs owning football clubs people with a bottomless pit of money owning football clubs the main threat to that was not manchester united or arsenal do you see what I mean? So mm. people will be like, oh, well, or, or Liverpool, they weren't the main threat to that. You know, Abu Dhabi or Qatar or all Saudi Arabia, they're the main threat to that. So, but I wouldn't say, and, and again, I, I, we, we haven't really spoken too much about Saudi or Mbappe. Maybe we will. Let's, but, yeah. Well, let's go to that because I think the players will be interesting. But go on, finish that yeah. final point. No, but my, my, I think my point is there is a difference, even in my eyes, between a Saudi investor, someone who's incredibly rich, who comes from Saudi Arabia wanting to buy a football team, and a state-backed football team. Mm. And I think a lot of people kind of go, you're xenophobic or you're racist because you're, you you know, you didn't have a problem when it was Russia. It's like, but we, we did have a problem when it was Russia. We do have a problem with Abu Dhabi. We do have a problem with Saudi Arabia because they're state-backed. Yeah. Not because a Russian person's involved or because someone from Abu Dhabi's involved, but because the state has bought football teams in our country and then distort the competition mm. that's that i think for most people's in my opinion anyway maybe you do know loads of xenophobic people but i don't in my eyes <laughs> most people in my um, eyes um that's the kind that's the issue mm. and but I, I talk to this uh with flav a lot of the time we kind of say football can be quite xenophobic in terms of that you know our you know protecting our league protecting our club and and, and things like that and so uh, I'm kind of, but no, but I, again, I think this is. I, I'll say it, and you can call me xenophobic if you want to. I've said this many times. I probably will for a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've said this many times though. Football clubs in England have huge community value and huge significance, and they should be protected. If you don't know, we've got this thing here where we like we list buildings and we say like because they have an important historical value, even if you buy it and you own it, you can't change it because it's been there for 500 years or whatnot. Yeah. So you can spend two million quid on a brilliant mansion in the countryside, but you can't build an extension. You know, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't change the windows because it's so important. And you're the only person that sees it. No one can even visit it. But yet we think it's so important that we've made a law that says you can't touch it. And I don't think football clubs, despite the fact that they have far wider reach in terms of community value, have been protected by the laws in our country. And people just they sell the training ground or they sell the, the ground itself to mm. themselves. And then when they can't afford to run the football club anymore, ha ha, I own the football ground. So I'm going to charge the new owners rent and all this thing, these things that we've had in English football. And, I, and my view That's is Derby I, County, just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> and, and many others, actually, sure. you just, I think government legislation should have protected our football clubs. Now, because of their huge, significant cultural value, I do think the idea that you would sell them to a foreign state is kind is kind of wrong. I don't have a problem with the foreign foreign like for example, 
you know, we're probably in a building right now owned by the Qatari state or like we're in London right now. London is massively invested in by Qatar and other and Saudi Arabia and we For our sure. government does business with those, you know, and we sell arms and all this stuff and we can get into that if you want to, but yeah. we are our, our state has huge relationships with these states. So it's not me saying that we shouldn't although I disagree that in in particular when it comes to arms and stuff like that, I don't agree that we should have those relationships. But ultimately our state sees that we should for some reason have these relationships as part of our economy. So we do and there's no in my in my view there's no problem in doing business with other states because that's how the world works but i don't think that many of these states would sell any institution of huge cultural and community significance not to a british person or a british investor but to the british state i find that to be incredible yeah yeah that we thought do you know what newcastle fifty thousand fans a week you know, one uh, city, one club city, you know, fans going down there for generation after generation watching Jackie Milburn, watching Alan Shearer, the Magpies have gone, do you know who should own this football club? The country. The Saudi Arabian state. Yeah. Or said that a guy who publicly admitted that he'd done a deal with Gorbachev to essentially steal fossil fuels from the Russian people and made himself a billionaire and an oligarch went, I'll buy Chelsea. And we all just went, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that's not cool. That's but it wasn't not... like, it wasn't hard no, was it? It was how much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, that's, and, and, and that's where we keep coming back to. For those we? of you that don't live in Britain, by the way, that's kind of how it works here. Like, and that's my issue with the country right now. But because I love football, that's kind of one of my issues with football as well. Like, our country has been sold to foreign investors. So you and I want to go and buy a flat in any major city right now. There's a good chance that we can't even put in a bid to buy it because they're being sold off plan to investors in another country. But you can pay an exorbitant rent once it's been sold to someone in another country. And that's what we've done with the football teams. We're basically saying like foreign investors, brilliant, pull the money into the Premier League. Let's make the product as great as possible. Maybe we'll pay significant tax and i guess that's why our country thinks it's a good idea but and and listen that's not to say that by the way that these people that that these states are going to run the club any worse than an individual would because we've seen rich individuals run football clubs incredibly badly yeah but for me it's we're talking about the competition moving away from what we think it should should be domestically and we're wondering what the future might be for chelsea and in my eyes even manchester united i'm like they can take the brand and they can move the club. Mm. They can say, by the way, Man United fans, do you know what? You've wanted a new stadium for so long. We've got you one. It's in Doha. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, like... Oh, yeah. And, and, and but what's new... amazing about that, there would be uproar, right? There would be absolute uproar. Mm. But people would for still a watch. Week. Yeah, 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 for a week. Because, again, the world has changed. And so you have 85,000 in a stadium... They're not the important ones anymore. Right. It's the 300 million who watch around the world or whatever. I'm picking a number out there, right? Yeah, That's the future of these competitions in my eyes. Like when, I, when we went to Qatar and we saw eight beautiful stadiums in one city, I went, oh, wow. Imagine if any weekend you went to Doha, Man United were playing Arsenal in that stadium. Chelsea were playing, I don't know, you know, Newcastle yeah, in another yeah, yeah. state. You start like, to charter planes, don't they? And everyone's on it. Everyone's uh, like, yeah, you're like, this is, the, this is the best weekend ever. Yeah. If Saudi Arabia want that vision for their country where they have a city the size of Belgium, Belgium, 
imagine the possibilities from a sporting context. Any weekend, you go and watch the Formula One, you watch a golf major. It's an amusement park, it, isn't it? It, it, it? it would be absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. And to be honest, you wouldn't be like, let's go for the weekend. You might as well be like, look, guys, we're off. Yeah. Wouldn't you? So that could be the future of football. And I just think you need to put some kind of legislation in early. Well, I, that was one sure thing I was going to say is you... Clubs don't disappear. First of all, you know, life makes hypocrites of us all because we are, we're not going to stop with our careers in terms of talking about the sport. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If Saudi Arabia offer me enough money, I will be there. There's, there's, I will never, ever, ever... Close the door. I wouldn't Saturday. say... <laughs> Listen, Jordan Henderson, believe me, yeah. I support him Your going to... Your feet is slightly smaller than Jordan Henderson's, isn't Only it? slightly, but honestly, I think... I, uh, one thing that I say is like individuals, people from a working class background and their ability to create generational wealth for their families or even just social mobility, be able to change their situation for the, the course of their lifetime. We can never, I would never say I, I'm from that background. You shouldn't take the money. Yeah. <laughs> Are you crazy? Mad? Yeah. We used to sit around and, and look at people with more money and think, why not us? Of course. Like, why, why not us? And you've got, you know, I, I've got like a 50 month year old son. Like, of course, it. this is serious stuff. Like, and it needs to be sorted. So on a case by case basis, you can't, you can't stop that. What I think is such a shame is that when that Super League happened and got squashed, they had to move quickly. And surely they could have seen this. And now it, you just wonder, it's maybe a little bit too they, Listen, late. they brought a rule in against moving football clubs in England. Right after Wimbledon moved to Milton Keynes, and there was loads of uproar in it, and it turns out that AFC Wimbledon are now better, and and that's one of the great stories in English football. But couldn't beat the Super Hoops though, could they? Yeah, (laughs) but that rule is around our competitions, so you can't be in one of our competitions and move the football club. Right, but if you want to be in a new competition, you can move the football club. So go and watch Chelsea in New York on any given weekend, which would you know build a build a stadium on the Hudson River you think people wouldn't go It'd be incredible yeah so right. I think that could be that global model could be the future of, of football we keep and trying I, to throw I, to you Kai come yeah. on go on what are you saying I was going to say that one phrase that sticks with me with all this is it's really easy to turn down money on other people's behalf yes that's, that's a great point that's a great point and to just just neatly finish off that Jordan Henderson chat <laughs> <laughs> that we started with Do you know this is the ripple effect, right? We're going to go off wherever we want to go to. And I think that was a really interesting chat. And God, it's great to have you. Mbappe yet. I'm just going to, yeah, we'll get to, right, let's do Mbappe, right. Because, no, no, finish your point on Henderson. Well, 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 no, I just, I think we should go through it. So who are the winners and losers from this deal? Graham Sooners has said that the move damages Henderson's legacy, but this deal does have benefits for Liverpool who look like they may secure 12 million more for their captain, which is amazing because that feels like such a pittance now. Yeah. Uh, this gives Liverpool a big boost in terms of further spending this summer and again allows them to reconstitute their mid field even further we've also put forward 10 options on the JLA YouTube channel for that defensive midfield position but is Henderson one of those players uh, that you want around the club to facilitate that midfield revamp role of the Liverpool captain has been given to Van Dyke. but is this Trent's destiny is he one step closer to being the captain I think that inevitably will happen do what I love about Trent and I feel like I saw it with Rashford I think I've seen you see it with players is that they're sort of they're young and you go oh you look like a boy and then there's this little moment where they go, and you go, oh, you're a man now. Okay, I can see that, like that, that 
kind of strong look in your eye that you're far more articulate than you were previously. And, and those two in particular, I think we've definitely seen that with Trent. I am so excited to see players like Trent this year. I think he's going to just be amazing. And that there's... Um, we're going to be talking about a Man United player a little bit later on who I think has got an incredible future as well. I was watching clips of him today and he's frightening. Um, and in, in the all-court position, in the Scottish Xavi position. Um, could a ripple of this move be that Jordan Henson doesn't go into management with the money he'll make from this 700k a week? Have we lost ourselves a good manager here? That's where I wanted to kind of get to because I think this is really, this is really interesting in terms of that shift from wanting to be a manager before because the, the other option was to open a pub. <laughs> Whereas now, with the money that these guys are making, well, I guess the initial shift was, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure I want to be a manager because I could do a bit of punditry, I can have an easier life, I can have a bit of fun, I can invest in businesses, I could be Flamini, for example. But when we move on to Mbappe, and a lot of these guys now, PK and what he, the changes that he's made in like his life or his future due to the money that he's been able to make... What are we going to see with players moving forward? Surely the new aim is obviously going to be, and we saw it with Beckham as well, he was the first one to do it, wasn't he? And now if you see what's happening with Messi, the future for these players is to get enough wealth to surely surely own one club and that one club model will become a multi-club model. What do we think about Mbappe and the decision that he's got to make, it's been accepted, obviously, the bid. He can now, you like this, day. he can now talk, he's now allowed to talk to <laughs> Al Halal. Um, how do you feel about the Mbappe saga? And do you think that is the kind of future with all these players that the wealth is so much that they're going to want to go and buy players? And actually, could they even afford them because of where we're going as well in terms of state ownership? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think the desire, everyone's an individual, so the desire to be a football manager or own a football club, I think, is quite an individual one anyway. Yeah. You've got to have the stomach for the fight, haven't you, yeah, in terms yeah. of management, because it's such a huge job. Yeah. Uh, but I think, firstly, when you talk about huge money, the ability to buy a football club, we're talking about less than 1% of players, are probably talking about 0.001% of players who will ever have that choice. So it's a handful, really. Um, and... You know, those players can put their money into that. They can buy hotels. They can, you know, they can do what... That's how much money people like Ronaldo will have when they're finished or Messi. My mate messaged me a Messi Budweiser advert and was like, this stuff makes me sick. And I was like, why? And he was like, he doesn't need the money. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but it'll be done soon. So he might as well just yeah, yeah. rinse it while he can and take as much money as possible. Like, I... <laughs> There's part of me that thinks Mbappe, uh, look, for me, if, if he is going to talk to a club in Saudi Arabia, sign a one-year deal and then go to Real Madrid on a free and just get 100 million for a year and, or what 200 million for a year, whatever they want to pay you. So let's touch on the deal a little bit because for them to go, to Al-Halal to go, oh, we know you want to go to Real Madrid, don't worry about that. We're just going to pay you loads for one year. That seems like a waste of a negotiating opportunity here. Like, surely you go... You can make, I think it's £22 a second or something like that, right? Whatever the, the you know, amount of money it, it is that he can make. Actually, Kai, can you just give it, find me the numbers? I think it's something like £400 million, is it, for a year. That's what I've seen knocking about. To go and make that money for a year, oh, he has to take it. Like, he has to go for that year. People go, oh, you're wasting your, your career. It's one year, How right? much is he on at Paris Saint-Germain, though, for the next year? Like I think he's probably on... 100, is it? I think. Yeah, I mean, 
So, but the point is, if you're Al Halal, surely you want to make that conversation a little bit trickier, right? And you go, oh, and actually, we want you for three. No. And we want you for three, and we're going to pay you a billion. So, yeah, but you know that he's going to say no to is three years. Is he actually going to... But but you say you know. You know people are going to say no. You don't know he's going to say no until you really put it there. But even if he... Do you know what? Even if he goes for three years, I think one of the things that's most interesting about Saudi Pro League is the difference in length of career now. So players... Uh, Kylian Mbappe at 35, three years in the Saudi Pro League, is still going to... Is, is, as long as he's still a decent player, still going to get big money, right? Yeah. So, because he's killing Mbappe. So it's like, why now? Well, so that is a good point. Because uh, if you think of... Well, this is this kind of goes against what you're saying a little bit. Because by the time he's 35, what, that's 11 years time. What year is it? To, 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 <laughs> they're, they're 34, okay? By 34, they've had, the, they've had the Olympics and the World Cup or whatever it is that they wanted, right? And if they're not going to be pumping that same money in, the point is, is like, when do you... When do you cash in in terms of that big offer from the Saudi Pro League? That that would be the foresight that would be really interesting here. Is if he goes, is now the time to to cash in and get that money whilst you can the seven hundred in in t- uh, ten years time? Is that bid you know add inflation to all of that? Is that money that you can make then bigger and better, or have they not run out but have mm. calmed down? And do you know what I mean? It's like selling when your stock is at its best. Is now the time to do that or will it be in 10 years time? It's an interesting... Look, listen, he's going to make a huge sum of money. doesn't matter where he goes. And if he becomes the face of the Saudi Pro League and the money that he can make in that region, you know, it's going to be huge. The opportunities that will come his way. But... Well, but Would you turn down... Let me throw it to you guys both. If I offer you 100 million or I offer you 400 million, f- like for a, you know... Also, let's say, okay, let's say 700 million for three years or 150 for three years at Real Madrid. Which one are you taking? There's no major change in his lifestyle on the two yeah. contracts. The only difference is one might give him that ability to, like like we said earlier, buy a, buy, planet. Buy a, fo- <laughs> buy a football <laughs> club. Influence. Yeah, like, and, and so it gives him that option to maybe make more money exponentially. But just on the face of the two amounts of money, he can pretty much do everything he wants mm. with. Do you think you might see a different deal with Real Madrid and it puts them under pressure in terms of his uh, image rights because to sort of if you look at the Messi deal no it's not the same money but there's uh, okay, yeah but don't worry about that because we'll give you a club we'll give you this we'll give you that I don't know how much Real Madrid want or need Mbappe like one of the reasons that they've had Galacticos down the years and, and always wanted to have the biggest names and whatnot was they were they're the original sports washers like they wanted the brand of Real Madrid to be huge and it's impenetrable. There's no bigger football club than Real Madrid. The Saudi Pro League's not as long as you're competing in the next 20 years. No, when they weren't re- competing, they were still the best, biggest football club in the world. They still made more money than anyone else. Celtic are an enormous football club, but can't keep their manager or players. Yeah, but there's a difference between Celtic and not competing. Like the, the, the gap between Celtic are not in the conversation. Do you see what I mean? Real Madrid will still be in the conversation. They'll still be a massive football club. They'll still I, d- be, I don't think there's a guarantee with they'd that. They'll still get to there are lots of clubs the knockout like stages in, well, if the Champions League still exists. Like, but, I, it, why would Real Madrid fall off the face of the planet because they didn't get Kylian Mbappe? No, when I'm they'd not, only go and get Erling Haaland next. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that. I think, and I've seen in terms of from what I've read, they've always kind of had this reserve of money. 
and they brought in money from um called the spanish state basically yes yeah, yeah. but they've always yeah. had this reserve money um which has supposedly been for mbappe when the time should come for them to go and get him um I was just on a broader point of the idea. It's like, I think you just got to be, yeah, any club at any size has to be careful because if you become irrelevant, that's a big thing these days. Like AC Milan, AC Milan, like enormous football club, but they're an, un, they're such a huge underdog now because they can't, because they can't compete. And so I think Real Madrid have been very clever and incredibly fortunate to a point with the fact that Benzema, Modric, Cruz, like the, the longevity of those players, which has allowed them to go and get the best in Camavinga, Chimene, Bellingham this time round. And that should allow them to survive again, as long as someone doesn't come in and offers them a, a billion. But in terms of, yeah, the, the player power, I think it's, it's a huge do you, moment. Do you think and, you should go to Al-Hilal? Do I think you should go to Al-Hilal? I think on on a basic level it's stupid if he doesn't but and and, and that's why i think it's it, people sort of throwing stones is really it's so easy when no one offers you like huge money and then outrageously huge money we have it all the time in our lives everyone can i'm sure could put for an example of i kind of took this gig because well, that's a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is Spotify. This is not that, by the way. I love being here. Okay, I get free snacks and coffee. Um, but I, ju- I just think it, I thought it was naive a month ago to think that Mbappe wouldn't start to have a look and go, "What? Look, there's a lot of good players here." And again, I keep coming back to that idea that that mid tier and that those filler players, for want of a better word, can be found around the world and they will flock there and then the league really does rise in terms of quality add to that the competition that we've spoken about as well and then all of a sudden you've got the best players a really solid league and the competition that has all the best players in it if that carries on let's say Mbappe says no and he stays at Real Madrid but Bernardo Silva goes and then these other players go sooner or later he will he will want to go and be there because people want to be where the big competitions are. It is as simple as that. And so I think there's, I, with my beliefs, with my beliefs, to get to the point, with Mm. my beliefs on Saudi Arabia and where I think they're heading and the money that they have, because it does seem like very clear, unlimited wealth. I would maybe say, no, find a way to get to Real Madrid and I'll meet you and I'll meet you in three years time and, and take the cash then. But to be honest, I think this is moving so fast. I think next year, next year might be your last chance to to get the, you know, to have the highest amount of money from them. He could wait for a year and then Al Hilal could rival Real Madrid for his services on a free. But then that comes back to, this is how complex it is. He gets a chance to see how the league's going for the next season. You've made this point. Yeah, you made this point. Does he have to go? To because of because PSG could turn on Mbappe in terms of him well yeah I, I just don't know what's in his contract like and most players contracts over whether you because obviously he's got permission to discuss where the Very grounds good. are for him to turn down Al Hilal legally because Paris Saint Germain could say there's no reason to like they've offered you more money than any footballer's ever been offered before yeah they've offered us two hundred and fifty nine million pounds which we're or 300 million euros, which we're now going to miss out on because you've turned down a contract which realistically fits everything, like is more money than you've asked 
than you want yeah and more money than you're being paid so why haven't right. you signed that deal and i don't know how french law works whether they can turn around to him and say you've lost us 259 million pounds so we're taking you to court for compensation mm. i mean he's still going to have the money because the next club will pay it off for him but the only thing I could see with him being able to turn it down and people not being able to say anything is he's got a girlfriend that's trans. He's dating a trans woman, wasn't he? Mbappe, was yeah. it? Right? No yeah. idea. The first ever Playboy trans model or whatever. How do I not know about that? <laughs> well, it was a thing during the World Cup. I don't know if oh, he's okay. still with her. Right. Or like if they were properly dating. Thing? It was reported pretty much everywhere. But if okay. it is, if it was true and still is, that's an easy way to say, no, I'm not going. Right. Do you it, option number three, four, that large uh, offer, yes, okay, it's just so it could be a world record fee, right? But could it also be to somewhat smoke out Real Madrid, right? So that Real Madrid pay, even if it's 150, let's say, right? So say Real Madrid put an offer for 150 because, oh, we don't want to lose him. Let's get this done. Kylian Mbappe wants to come here anyway, right? You go and do that. And then in a year, so this time next summer, because they've kind of gone here, so you meet in the middle kind of thing in terms of Real Madrid, feel like they get a bit of a bargain, even though they're not. PSG kind of get their money, they're kind of happy. In a year's time, Real Madrid haven't got any more money to spend. And then Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia's clubs can completely sweep the floor with with everyone because there is no competition financially. Is it a bit of a power move, maybe? Listen, I, maybe. I think going for Mbappe is a power move. Sure. I think if you have a league, even if it's a rubbish competition structure and it's got 12 teams in it and it will last half the length of the other leagues, um, that has Karim Benzema, even at his age. Um, you've obviously got Cristiano Ronaldo's draw. Messi made the decision not to go and I think that's probably based on the offer from the MLS in terms yeah. of owning a f- club in the future. Um but then you add Kylian Mbappe to the Saudi Pro League, like it couldn't be going any better in terms of, you know, whoever in the Saudi state went, here's 17 billion pounds, grow this league. And then 12 months later or 18 months later, you turn around and you've got three of the, you know, five or six most well-known players in the world. Mm. It's quite, it would be quite incredible. But they would, but, but, I think if you're Mbappe, you are the, still the centerpiece, despite the other names there. So, if they say to you, "Do you want one billion for three seasons?" you literally say two. Like that, that that is now the bargaining position that he's in. Yeah. So, <laughs> if his agents are, are like that, and if that kind of money is on the table, then he he can't turn it down. The thing is that I think, even though we're having this discussion now. I said to a mate the other day, if you know, people talk about all these players tarnishing the legacy, this, that, and the other. I'm not. I said, it, with respect, if Mbappe goes there for two years, none of us watch a single one of his games. He comes back to Real Madrid and wins everything. We won't remember. We won't even think about it. Yeah, it'll, it'll actually be at the end of his career. Like, oh yeah, he went. He went yeah. Saudi, yeah, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Because we will care more. <laughs> all the images of him lifting the Champions League three or four times at at Real Madrid before the end of his career would be the things that are emblazoned on our mind, mm. not, did he win the Saudi Cup? You know, like, we're never yeah, going to, yeah, none yeah, of yeah. us are really going to be. So in the end, I'm like, I would take the money, but I think it would say, it would be a huge statement for Saudi Arabia and it would be so huge for world football. I, d- I don't, I still don't think it would be the power move. Like, I, it wouldn't turn things in their favour, in my opinion, because I just don't feel like, 
I feel like there are so many good players in the Premier League, in Serie A, in Liga, wherever. And there are so many fans and there are so many great images that we'll get over the course of the season that it won't yet compete on that level. But, you know, those, you know, when the MLS came onto TV in this country and you had people being like, I'll watch it. And obviously people weren't, you know, into it. And so it hasn't stayed. But I think, you know, for the first 12 months or so, it will get the opportunity to make its case to audiences around the world. Mm. And if it can do that. The timing of the game suit our time yeah, as well. Yeah. Really? Because America is... But that's not good. The morning, that's that, heat, that's yeah. not good. You don't want it to be similar times to ours. You no. want it to be when there's none of our football to watch. Right. Where we're like, what's on TV? You know, 10 p.m. Yeah. Sunday so night. Hours ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 yeah. p.m. Sunday night. You're like, brilliant, perfect. We'll I watch don't, it. I don't need another league to watch. <laughs> I, just, I just don't need more to watch. A warlog pitch in Thailand could decide the Premier League top four this season. Preseason roundup. Want to get through this just so you guys know which players are killing it during preseason and you want to keep an eye on them for the new season. Maybe get them in your FPL team. Okay. Let's, uh, we'll talk, I mean, with this whole episode's obviously been about Saudi Arabia. So, I we were going to talk about Christopher Nkunku, but we'll save that for next week. Um, Riyad Mahrez to Al Ali. Let's go through some uh, some cheeky ripples and we'll give you a little pre-season roundup because there's some uh, great performances out there. Uh, Riyad Mahrez leaving um, to Al Ali is the first domino that falls in Pep Guardiola, radically changing his system this season. We're about to talk about football, guys. This is amazing. Ready? Riyad Mahrez has agreed to move to Saudi Arabia this summer, despite Man City not being very open to selling. Could this transfer trigger more moves away from Manchester City, especially after their triple triumph last season? It's always hard that season after, although they obviously do have a good squad. Bernardo Silva leaves too. It could mean Man City have the funds for Kylian Mbappe. We'll see. Man City <laughs> are linked. I have to say, just to interject on that, Man City have to try and get Mbappe. They have to. Option number five. Yeah, they have to try. try. I don't think they will, but they have to try. They have hey, to try. Pound. Imagine they have to try. Grealish would be like, oh, f- they have just to try. made that left wing spot. Much. Give, give them Grealish. He'll enjoy Paris. Yeah, yeah, I think he'd have a great time. He wouldn't uh, enjoy Saudi. <laughs> yeah, there's, there are hotels. <laughs> Man City are uh, linked with French wonder kid Bradley Barcola as their replacement for Mamaris at the minute. He's 20 and this may be indicative of Man City's plans. And They will focus on youth and quality and it could be a big gamble when you consider the players leaving. So it could be a little drop-off for Man City maybe as they also look to maybe change their... Uh, way of playing as well and the kind of chemistry that can come from that the fluency that can come from that and that might open the door for an Arsenal to do something this season a bit like we're talking about Saudi Arabia um, in terms of the goals of the project people need to remember that Manchester City's owners had a goal to win the Champions League so things may change in terms of their approach now that they've done that Mm. I think we do need to be open to that and Manchester City... Sorry, do you mean... Are you alluding to the fact of calming down or yeah. calmly rebuilding? No, just cha- just ch- changing their approach. And that, may, that may mean we actually look at the financial fair play rules and try and actu- actually stay within them on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, was it 115 <laughs> pending? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, and that's the other thing as well. Like those, maybe they don't feel like they will be cleared from those charges. 
um, and maybe they feel like they will take some, you know, the punishment that will come down the road for them may be significant enough that they kind of say, like, let's do this early. Let's get young players in on a lower salary so that we can absorb whatever fine comes our way in a couple of seasons' time. And let's offload some of our bigger earners while they have good value, get that money into the club, reinvest it in a different way. So I do think currently at Manchester City, we're seeing something that may mean, uh, listen, uh, uh, listening to them talk recently, and they were talking about we're the biggest brand in world football now because we've won a treble. I don't think they are, obviously, but I do think... What's What's biggest? Well, Real Madrid are the biggest brand in football. Right. You know, it's... Paris Saint-Germain, let's take them as an example, they grew their brand since I'm, the new owners have come in hugely, but they're not the biggest I'm brand. I'm wearing PSG shorts. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So there's different ways of becoming <laughs> nice a, a strong brand. There's different ways of becoming a strong brand and clearly Manchester City's approach was to get out there and win loads of trophies. And they're clearly a far stronger brand than they were before. And they're right up there, but they're not the biggest brand in football. But I do think they feel like they're at the top table. Yeah, and kind of if that was the plan, they can ease off a little bit. Like we we didn't really want to win every trophy there was to win for the rest of eternity, but we wanted to get some respect on our name, get to the top table, have fan. Um, sorry, excuse me, have players think that's a club that I want to play for. Yeah, and and, and I, also, I, you want good practice. Full stop. You know, you might have yeah. all the money in the world, but you want to create something that is to a point sustainable. Yeah. And I think that comes from the like, you can see that in terms of the selling of youth players. So so far, Man City have sold. James Trafford, 19 mil, uh, Shea Charles, 15 mil, and are in talks with West Ham to sell Carlos Borges for 14 mil. Uh, Man City consistently put buyback clauses in these deals, which means that they can't lose, which is so clever because they've now uh, actually got a multi-club. Sorry, with, uh, with, with respect, but with respect, why are these clubs that are buying the players accepting such significant sell-on clauses? James Trafford has not even played in the championship Burnley spent nineteen million pounds on a player who hasn't played in the top two divisions of but, English football, which uh, is which is even if you want to do that, that's a you know, but that's a significant amount of money to give to Manchester City. Why are you then giving them twenty percent of the sell on? Twenty percent. Yeah, that's crazy. Why are you giving them t- what five and a buyback clause though? And a buyback and the same at Bazunu at Southampton. But it, it's, it's, I find that to be insane. Laws, though, law, that, though, isn't it? And I think people get blinded by the fact that we can get a player that we can't get anywhere else for a, a number that works for us right now. But, I, mm. but if you're going to buy a player for, like like I say, without experience for £19 million... But a lot of pedigree. Okay, fine. But the fee should be 14 13 then. Like, why take £5 million. Why am I paying you... I no- think it's so 14 what, with- plus 5 14 plus 5. Okay, so, so yeah. the 5 is the add-ons. Right. Still significant money. Yes, yeah. But again, the yeah, obviously the powers of stockpiling of those players. You know, when you have the players, you have the power. I that there is something strange going on with those deals. I don't get it. I said exactly the same. I, thing. I don't. I don't. I actually don't get it. Especially if you're Burnley, because it's working. Because it's working in favour of Man City too yeah. much. Yeah, but like, how yeah. good are these kids? Like, I get out. it. To be fair, James Trafford was sensational in the under twenty one Euros. But, but they signed him before. Say again. Yeah, they got before. So that. they kind yeah. of got another shape. So I just, but, but I still don't. I still. There's part of me that's just like, why are these Man City Academy players holding such high value? Right. I, I don't. I just don't get it. I think, but I think that's always that's always generally been the case. It's just been expanded now. You know, because when those academies are so strong. You know where it's going. You know these players are going to be elite footballers. No, but so no, you no, you, but you don't. 
You don't I think, like. I get it if they'd. Come, I think you do more so if, than ever before. If they'd come into the Manchester City team, played in the Premier League, showed that they had quality at that level, you'd you'd understand it. But they haven't yet. I would also say that that I think you've seen it time and again. If you've got Man United attached to you or Man City attached to you, you can get more money. And they're obviously young players. So if you sell them, you're not going to sell them cheap. You're going to be able to get a, a good fee for them. Even someone like Rian Brewster, who costs feels like too much now, right? And he's obviously not done great. I think if you sell him because he's still young, you still get nah. an okay amount. Nah. I think you would. Kai, how much do you think you get for Brewster? Brewster? Five. Five? I was going I for do eight. Not, do not think he's... Okay, maybe I'm wrong. I was going for he's eight. Class so, uh, <laughs> not only can they buy these players back if they perform well, but it also gives them a cash injection to strengthen their first team. It means that they'll be able to spend 70 mil on Guardiol without it denting their FFP. It's kind of maybe, you know, yeah. because they're there, like... That's yeah. what you say. Like they are established now, so as long as you can keep getting the young players, it's like it's that Chelsea model. It's exactly the same. Uh, but what they haven't accounted for is the likes of Bernardo Silva maybe wanting to leave. This means that they could uh, have even more money. I mean, they could be, there could be an actual marquee signing on the horizon. <laughs> maybe they will come in and battle for him. Is going to have to be someone like him because I think you see Tottenham were linked to them. <laughs> Mbappe, I would Tot- love that. Tottenham are interested in Mbappe. Are they? I would love to. Would they yeah, loan him so out for a year? Just loan him out <laughs> so for one season. I just, yeah, I mean, it's just I think now that's two hundred and fifty-nine million pounds from Al Hilal. The thing is, what I don't get is the so the PSG chairman. The next time someone answers the phone, like Man City call, and they're like, "We just wanted to inquire about Killian. We see things aren't going great." Yeah. So what would tempt you? Do they go, well, we've got 259, 300 million euros, 259 million pounds on the table already. So you'd have to match that. Mm. Or do they just go like one, 100? Uh, hello, hello? No, but do they go like <laughs> yeah. 100? Like, are they reasonable with other clubs? Yeah. Or have Al Hilal now put such a high level on this deal that you have to reach that to be able to sign him this summer? It sounds a lot like Bournemouth when they have to... Yeah. The Premier League. Does it you? Doesn't it you? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, they can't. Well, they have to, don't they? They no, have to. They, well, they, they don't, don't have to. They don't, they don't have, have to. to. They don't have to. <laughs> they don't have to because they just but go and buy someone else. That's right. my point. But go and buy someone you can afford. Yes, yeah. That's true. There is. There is always another player. Uh, right. Preseason roundup. Want to get through this just so you guys know which players are killing it during preseason, and you want to keep an eye on them for the new season. Maybe get them in your FPL team. Kobe Maynu's performances in preseason. This kid. Oh. He is a guaranteed JLA match reaction, man of the match every single week because I can't <laughs> keep my eyes off him. I mean, he's young, like he's 18, but his upper body strength. Yeah. And what I love about him so much from the performances against Arsenal, um, who else did he play against? It was another game as well. His comfort mm. as a single pivot First of all, to sort of drop deep, and there's just a swag to that. But secondly, to get the ball with your back to goal in single pivot, feel that contact, roll that player, and then drive with the ball. The the fact that he can dribble as well, but actually just wants to play those little Thiago passes. Oh, my God. (laughs) He's something. He might be the player that Man United fans thought Paul Pogba was going to be in that deeper role. I always thought Pogba should have been number 10 and just left him around the yeah. penalty box and allowed him to have fun. I think that's one of the errors that Man United made with Pogba, trying to make him this all-encompassing midfielder. Like he, He's got incredible talent, mm. but he was never used in, in the right way. But um, I think Maynou needs to be given quite a few opportunities. I think 
Scott McTominay's proven he has a certain level. I don't know if he'll be a Manchester United player when we get into September. Yeah. Fred the same. But um different players though too, aren't no, they? No, different different players, but I think those are the players that when we make a midfield sub you expect to see first off the bench. Sure. And I think he may have put himself in that conversation now as a young even though he's a young player. Yeah, I want to be, be care you've got to be careful, haven't you? You've got to be so careful with these things because there'll be a few things that will occur. First of all, this this lad will be playing with so much adrenaline that and when you when you have those first few games I, I remember, like, obviously, there I compare myself to this. <laughs> I remember playing, I remember when I first played for Cobham, right? And I got it. Basically, my story was I was playing for a, a team in like, like this is semi-pro, but lower, right? Combined counties prem. And I'd been a right back at one team and I went to Cobham and I said, I'm a centre midfielder because I've been at university and I played centre midfield. And whereas before I was this little lad who would just like get it and play it. Went and played centre midfield and they didn't know who I was. So I got to be whoever I wanted to be. And I played in centre midfield. And those first three, four games, I was playing in fast forward in my head because the adrenaline was there. And, and the, I wasn't worried about playing well. I just wanted to go and play well. So I got it, played it. And I knew it was a quick pace. So I was like, right, I need to concentrate here. I remember that feeling. And I've seen this so many times with young players that come through. They have two, three, four, five games. And they go, oh, I can do it. I've done it. And then the adrenaline kind of wanes a little bit, but also just through a little crack in the door comes this idea of, oh, this is the level I kind of need to hit to. Or you play one bad pass or three bad passes and you go, oh, this will happen for him. Because yes, he's playing against all these teams, but these players have probably played, might have been training earlier that day. You know, they're, they're not sort of, the fluency, the pace mm. of the game isn't there. There's and things that he does now that look great on the highlights reel. Yeah. And I was like, it's great to know that he has this talent, but he can't do that in the Premier League. Yeah. You know, like the, the stuff that you mentioned, uh, great to see that he has the ability to do that. But none of us want to see a single pivot player pick up the ball facing their own goal, try and roll a central midfielder in the Premier League because you'll get tackled immediately yeah. and the other team will score. So I was like, you Wait, know, even yeah. dropping his shoulder, when he drops his shoulder and he rolls away from a player, like he just faints past them, doesn't even touch the ball, ball just rolls in a certain direction. I sit there and I'm like, he's got a lot of space here. I'm yes. lo and I'm looking at the gaps and I'm like, and the he, tempo's won't, slower. he won't have yeah. that space. And it, look, all he needs to be is intelligent enough to realise and, and our coaches need to be good enough to tell him, look, it's great you can do that stuff. But don't try that. Play it short. Play the way you're facing. Yeah. Ease your way into the game. You're right. It's the right ease, games ease, as well. Ease right? your way into your career. Oh, yeah. We'll see him at Old Trafford loads when Man United have a two-goal lead. Because like, that's it. It's the speed of football, both what you're seeing everyone doing, but also how you yourself and how you need to be able to perform quickly. And that's the thing that I kind of, again, I want to be kind of careful with him. And I think he's worth talking about because I think there's a lot that, you know, is just so exciting about him. And like the rolling of, of someone that's fine as long as it continues to work every single time. But a bit like um, like test cricket. Like, again, a batsman will come in and hit a couple of great knocks and then people will analyse him and go, oh, there's one ball he can't hit. We're going to put it there. We're going to put it there. Mm. We're going to put it there. Mm. And that is what will happen and continues to happen. You have to be so complete. But in the right games, I think he can be so exciting for, for Man United and definitely a name that people need to keep an eye on. Ripple effect from this quite possibly. Um, Rice got bossed. Sort of, right? By him in pre-season. Um, but it, as know, an English defensive midfielder, could there be competition for Declan Rice in the you know, next five know, years? The only thing that I learned about that was not really Rice getting bossed. 
I remember saying at the start of last season that I thought Declan Rice looked tired and a lot of England players, not just Declan Rice. Sure. We remember talking about how, how many of them uh, had sort of bad starts to the season. Rice obviously was a huge player for West Ham, ran himself into the ground for that club, won a trophy at the end of the season. And I just wonder if Arsenal kind of have to manage his physical attributes because a lot of the team looked leggy, but he looked leggy too. The other thing is yeah. he's playing, he played on his own as like a number six, right? as a deep lying midfielder as a single player and he hasn't done that really in his career occasionally for England, England when he play yeah. against weaker teams but generally West, against France West Ham put yeah that's true West Ham put a player a small set, beside him but it's not just that I think international football's weaker even when you're playing against France like yeah. because the teams aren't together for as long they're not as coached etc etc so um, it, it's very intriguing to see if he can hold that role and be a progressive player. Mm. I, I think he can do all the defensive stuff in that area of the pitch. It's whether he's going to pick the ball up off Ramsdale, turn, play it wide. You know, like, I'm, think, I'm intrigued to see that. Yeah, I think it's about getting up to speed. Like, I thought in that, uh, in the World Cup, in that first game, I wasn't, I was like, I'm not sure about you there. You're not being quick enough with it. Second game was better. Game after that was better. And I think that's a, that's a, a thing that you've seen with Declan Rice regularly, is it that he, you know, he takes in information he and he improves. And I think he will get up to speed. But I think there's a lot of players that will need to get up to speed. Uh, Kai Havertz kind of, you know, being another one of those. And actually, I, I, we were talking about this um, yesterday, Kai, that I think someone like Trossard could have a really big season because I think he is up to speed now, whereas Kai Havertz is going to kind of be coming in. Do you agree? Yeah, he's been playing as the left centre mid Mm. In pre-season, he's done it twice, started there twice, and it's going under the radar because Kai Havertz is bought to play there. But obviously, there's moving to more attacking position. I think you'll start with Trossard. I think yeah. you start the season with him. I do. The thing is, uh, I hate to say it, I just I I can't believe the outlay on Kai Havertz because uh, like Trossard, you think he'll have a better season because he's a man in this league. And I hate to, it doesn't matter how much money you've spent on Kai Havertz. It doesn't matter that he scored the winning goal in the Champions League. It doesn't matter that he's on occasion a That's lovely such a nonsense when people kind of go on about footballer. that. No, but he no, but no, he, I know he's done that, but so, like it's a goal, yeah, so exactly, what? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, no, I know, but and that's yeah. the thing. People say that he's achieved this, he's achieved that, but ultimately in the Premier League, I don't think he's been good enough. Had he gone back to Bundesliga this year for thirty million pounds, I wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. So the fact that Arsenal thought he's worth that much money, they must have a specific plan for him as a player. Yeah. But ultimately, I think aside from the talent he has, he does have talent. In the Premier League, he's just not got a character so far. And that's why someone like Trossard, who probably doesn't have the same talent as Havertz when you look at just raw ability, you know, he's a man in this league. Yeah. So, But I think that can allow... Havertz to come in but not not start to start with it's a yeah, long, yeah, yeah, it's no, a long I'm, I'm agreeing with I'm agreeing yeah, yeah, I'm agreeing yeah. I'm totally agreeing um, the signing of Mason Mount will allow Bruno Fernandes to explode you love this one Cardi explode yeah. he's, he's going explode to explode everywhere. he's done pretty well so far uh, against the, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> what was he doing before he was just cooking wasn't he now he's going to explode yeah, so he's, yeah, yeah. He's, 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 um, he was simmering now this is, this is going to get out of control turn it down <laughs> against Arsenal uh, we saw that Mason Mount and Bruno Fernandes finally started together for the first time it is the year of the eights as we've told you on the James Lawrence Allgott channel uh, Mount and Fernandes played extremely close to each other with both of them playing in advanced areas and due to this it may mean that Man United have more overloads in attacking areas meaning that Bruno Fernandes picks up more spaces in the final third I actually think 
those two as a bit of a pairing because I think both of those can go beyond. But actually, Bruno Fernandes probably, in terms of wanting to make a burst and a run past, probably Mason Mount wants to do that a little bit more. So if they can work up the pitch a bit better, um, I think there's two ways of looking at it. You could see Bruno Fernandes kind of getting more goals, maybe having less touches, but being a lot more effective next season due to the fact that he's higher up the pitch. But I also think there, there could be a little partnership there because I think two intelligent players, and in particular, I think Mount and his, I think he's so intelligent and he, he's got someone who goes, oh, I know, I, know, I know players like you. You want the really tricky pass, but you've got it in your locker. I think he'll kind of make those, those little runs. And I think Bruno Fernandes will like him because Mason Mount will give him the ball as well. I can see a little bromance occurring mm. there. I think that you're going to get good output from those two. Um, but you still need that striker, right? Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, for the Man United conversation, all of you decide what you think Manchester United should be. Because there's difference. There's a difference in age groups, right? There's just a difference between what we've seen of Manchester United and where we think the club should be. So if I, my age group, you know, past my mid-30s now, and the players and the teams that I've seen at Manchester United, if I aspire to see that once again, then I'm kind of like, cool, you know, these are good players and they're going to improve Manchester United, but are they going to win the Champions League? Are they going to win Premier League titles? Probably not. Um, Mm, Not this year. Not this year, no. I, 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 the thing that I think is most difficult as a Man, United, a Man United fan is that I thought there was a three-year process under Eric Ten Hag. Now, the, there was such a low bar to begin with that I said, first season, what I want to see, players that care about playing for this football club that will run them, themselves into the ground, just that work ethic that should be a non-negotiable. And the second one was semblance of a plan. That's literally what I called it. Semblance of a plan, which is what we had, like, especially after the bad first couple of games, Ten Hag went, oh, I can't play like that. We need to be more structured. We need to be less entertaining, if you like, even though we made a lot of chances. We weren't really trying to play hugely expansive football um, and we need to get results. Like, and I, I respected him for that. And he had a successful first year at Manchester United. The second year was for me to build on the football so a bit like Arsenal, you start to say, wow, they're, they're building a style here. You can see exactly what they're trying to do and it looks like it could work in patches um, and it's a lovely style of football. And people say you don't have to play a lovely style of football. To work. I, I think Manchester United fans expect a style of football. Yeah. So Teams teams that regularly win things play. play exactly. Now, so. my issue with it is in the second year, a bit like other clubs, and I don't think Arsenal are the model, they haven't won anything, but when you bring in a new manager and you've come from such a bad position in terms of the history of the club and what you expect to be aiming for, the squad needed to be overhauled. And this summer for me was about getting, just getting people out, right? get them out and get people in that you think, even if you end up with a smaller squad that you think are the kind of quality that can help reach the next level. And I see that we're trying to do that, but because of the takeover, it's not moving at a quicker pace. You see people like Delot getting a new deal and people are like, he's done okay. And you're like, oh, he's done well. And I'm like, yeah, he has. But it slows down Manchester United getting to the level that I as a fan would expect mm. them to be at, which is basically not to be scared about playing any football team in the world. That's basically where I want Man United. Never to think, oh, we're playing them. We should be concerned. Yeah. Like always oh, believing the, you can win every game that you play in. And, and Man the sort United. of curling up into a ball that we've seen with Man United yeah, when yeah, they play yeah. against those top oh, yeah. sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so... For me, just the acceleration of the turnover in the squad hasn't happened. And for me, that that may add a year 
depending on who takes over the football club and if it happens, if it does happen, then and it might it might be accelerated. They might say we've got so much money, we can buy everyone and we can sell everyone. It doesn't really matter how much money we sell them for. But at this point in time, what I'm seeing is very slow progression, mm. a progression, but slower than I would I expected the three year plan to be. So in terms of challenging for the Premier League title. I know people would say they can do it this season. I don't think they can realistically win the Premier League or get close to it for another few seasons. I, I don't mind that, by the way. I'm perfectly happy with where, where Manchester yeah, United are. I, said, I think I had a little chat with uh, Adam McCola on Twitter. And the thing for me was, I think Kane, if you get Kane, it gives you a puncher's chance. But They're not getting Kane. No, but they're not getting <laughs> Kane. Yeah, exactly. But they're not getting Kane. Yeah. And, and therefore, it being part of a three-year build... Is, is absolutely fine. You're better off doing that than going and getting someone that you're not totally sure of. Last week's podcast, Joe said that Hoyland is is the guy he thinks is going to take a second, but he would be a good one to get through. But I think that's, again, a lot of pressure on one on a young lad um, at such a huge club. Uh, quick fire, little random ripple to finish off a... Was it enjoyable? It was certainly <laughs> enjoyable, the chat. What we're chatting about. It was, yeah, interesting. Angled, let's say. <laughs> A waterlog pitch in Thailand could decide the Premier League top four this season. Tottenham had a friendly a few days ago against West Ham, in which we learned a lot about what uh, Tottenham will be doing in terms of their team. Uh, there's a video on the channel coming soon as well. And that fact that they might be really soft at the back. West Ham go on to beat Spurs 3-2 in this match with the goals being very avoidable to say the least. But it's OK. Spurs had another game arranged last week against Leicester in which they'd be able to iron out some of these issues and work on their defensive shape. Right? Right? Wrong. The game was cancelled for a waterlogged pitch and that lack of playing time could affect Tottenham's chances as well as the fact that, you know, new manager, lots of change and a million other things as well. But it could be a daunting ripple effect. <laughs> Sorry, can we just get the camera on Kai? Do the same look? Who knows? There you go. That's got to be a meme. Uh, Kai, thank you very much. Finn out the back, thank you very much. He's our editor. Uh, Hugh Woosencroft. You are a lovely man. Thank you so much. Love chatting to you, as ever, although you do too much of it before we hit record. And when we do as well. Yeah, Sorry exactly. about that. So we're going to carry on chatting in just a second. Guys, go check out all the other episodes of The Ripple Effect. Get us to 3K when it comes to those five-star ratings. Give us a review wherever you listen to The Ripple Effect, and we'll see you next time.